All right, take your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want a handout. Uh, Pastor Jonas has those in the back. Kids, if you need, need a handout to keep track of notes, you never know when we'll give you something for that. Uh, but just to remind you, I was watching, I was sitting here watching the slides before the service, the pre-service slides, and I was reminded that today is Clay Stevenson's birthday. Yeah, so we have a tradition here uh, at the afternoon service, which we just started. <laughs> if it's your birthday, you get a choice. Because it's your birthday, you get to make a choice. So your choice is either take us all out for lunch or come give a testimony here before we start. So what would... Uh, lunch on clay today. I knew he'd choose that. All right, so uh, we'll all be share, splitting one hamburger. <laughs> 60 ways. All right, here we go. All right. Well, happy birthday to clay. And uh, if it's your birthday next time, we won't do that to you, just to clay. It's, 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 the, the tradition is now over, okay? So Second Peter, or sorry, First Peter chapter 1. If you're a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing Christian, you'll be out of step with the rest of the world. This is how it's going to work. This is the idea of 1 Peter. If you want to be a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing Christian, uh, the rest of the world is not Bible-believing, the majority, not Bible-believing, not Bible-practicing. And so you're going to be out of step a little bit. So the book of 1 Peter was written to people who were strangers. They were in Jerusalem and were spread across uh, parts of what's now modern-day Turkey, and they're kind of out of place. And as they're out of place, Peter's writing to them as their um, probably former pastor, uh, one of the apostles, to encourage them with some characteristics and some qualities we're looking at to help us live right in a world that's gone wrong, all right? And so last Sunday, we learned uh, about uh, endurance, that we need endurance to get through trials. And today, we'll look at a different quality as Pastor Peter addresses this group of strangers. We're going to look at the characteristic of staying sober in a world gone wrong. Sobriety, staying sober in a world gone wrong. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. The Bible says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy." Sobriety. So the idea of sobriety, uh, for us, it looks like somebody who's not drunk. That person's sober as opposed to being drunk. The Bible word for sobriety is, is kind of like that, a little different. Has a little more to it than just, I would assume that everyone here in the room today is not drunk. And so in that way, you're sober. If, you are, if that's not you today, well, we'll pray for you afterwards. But I think you're here Sunday morning, you're sober. But are you sober in a biblical perspective? That's what we're looking at today. Uh, has a little more to do what it looks like in the Bible. So here are a couple of characteristics of a sober stranger, someone who's going to be sober. And the idea here is Peter's saying, if you're going to survive in this new world where you don't fit in, you need to have a sober mind. You need to be sober in your behavior, right? So number one on your outline, a prepared mind. What does it mean to be sober? A prepared mind. The idea is to be uh, calm and cool and collected. You can be sober. You can, have, you can think clearly when everybody else is not thinking clearly. This world is full of chaos, and you can have calm in the midst of chaos when you're sober. Uh, I am always amazed at uh, athletes 
who in intense moments with the game on the line and the pressure on the line, they say the game slows down for them. For me, in that situation, everything speeds up. I had to, to speed up, and I feel like I had to make decisions right away. But the greatest athletes of all time, as the transition probably from college into professional, the game begins to slow down. And this is the idea of like sobriety, that in this world, you can have a different perspective of life because you have uh, some information. You, you have a connection with the creator of this world that other people don't have. And so in this chaotic world, you can be discreet and under control. That's the idea of this word discretion, showing discretion, making good decisions under pressure, a prepared mind, this world that's full of chaos. Are you the type of person that can remain calm in chaos? Are you known as a person at work that when things get riled up and everybody's kind of going haywire, you can stay calm? Do you have that demeanor? That's a sober mind, a prepared mind. The Bible uses an interesting phrase here. Gird up the loins of your mind. Right? I'm going to talk about that phrase a little bit. Uh, kind of sounds strange to us. If I said to somebody today, if I said, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'll remind you, you know, gird up the loins of your mind this week as you go out. Make sure you're, <laughs> the loins of your mind are girded up because we don't want to go out there ungirded in this world because if we go out ungirded, bad things will happen. Our loins of our mind need to be girded. It'd be very foolish for me to try to explain it that way. All right. So that's what the Bible says. Gird up the loins of your mind. But for the person that Peter is writing to, this would give a very clear picture. All right, so we understand this is not written, written to Bible, it's for us. It was not written to us, but it is for us. All right, it was, it was written to a, a group of people back in the day. And so this very clear picture would be obvious in their mind as he said, hey, folks, as you go into the world, gird up the loins of your mind. It was basically a way of taking their long flowing robes and tucking them up into the belt to turn their robe into a pair of shorts. That's all it was. It's just to give them, uh, to not restrict the motion, all right? Uh, so it was not immodest. It was just a way to, to, and they understood that. They did it on a regular basis. So this was not a strange thing. Uh, but for us, it's a little different. And so I want to kind of give you an illustration today what that, that might look like in our society today. And so I hope this illustration will, will help you out a little bit as we talk about girding up the loins of our mind, all right? And so it was a way to uh, get ready for something active. And uh, so I hope that this illustration will be uh, a help to you. All right, I, this is the illustration, actually. I'm not going to do anything else. Uh, but this is the illustration. <laughs> So don't get too excited. Uh, I'm not doing any, there's, there's nothing else. But right away in your mind, when you see me take my jacket off and you see me roll my sleeves up, what do you think? He's going to do something. He's, he's going to do something active. There's going to be, there's going to be action. We, we might say, if we were Peter, we might say, hey, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Like, that's how we would say it. Like, that's how we would describe it. Get ready for action. I'm not going to do any action. I had surgery this week. There'll be no calisthenics, no action today. This is as much, walking from here to here, as much as I'm going to do today, all right? But the illustration to remind you of what does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind, for us, we'd say roll up the sleeves of your mind. Get ready for action. Be prepared. And really, it was usually done in that day for a couple of major reasons. Number one, for, for work. And so number one on your outline, you need to have a work mentality. A work mentality. As you go into the world... You, to be sober-minded, to gird up the loins of your mind is to have a work mentality. If you're going to live for Jesus Christ in a world that's gone wrong, it's going to take some work. It just doesn't happen naturally. 
If you don't go out with a game plan in mind of how you're going to exemplify Jesus Christ to your neighbors, if you don't go out with a game plan in mind of how you're going to talk about Jesus Christ and how he's changed your life, if you don't, go, if you don't have this work mentality that I'm in this world not just to amass financial resources, but I'm in this world to make a difference, I'm here to do the work of the Father, if you don't have that mentality, you're, you're, you're not gritting up the loins of your mind. You're not rolling up the sleeves. You understand what I'm saying? That's what it has the idea of a work mentality. I'm going into the world, the workforce this week. I'm going into the world this week. I'm going back to school this week, kids, to make a difference. I'm going to a family reunion. I'm going to a gathering. As I go, I want to love people like Jesus Christ. I'm going to roll up the sleeves of my mind and get ready for some work because it's, gonna, it's not going to be easy to make a difference. It's not easy to live right in a world gone wrong. It takes a work mentality. All right, so that's one reason they would do it. The other reason is in times of war. We need to have a work mentality and a war mentality. The, the Christian life is a battle. Dr. Thompson uh, was uh, my pastor and uh, one of my mentors, and uh, Ruthie's dad. And uh, we, would we were talking one day, I think it was Pastor, and Dr. Tom pastor Stone, Dr. Thompson, and I. And I think Pastor Stone said, have you ever noticed that a lot, of, a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers are competitive? And Dr. Thompson said this, all the good ones are. He said, You're, we're in a battle every day with the devil. Like, we're fighting tooth and nail with the devil. Everything we try to do, he's trying to counter. We're trying to get people to know Christ. He's trying to keep you away from Christ. And if, we're, if you don't have that competitive spirit about you in the Christian life, you're not going to last very long. See, it's a war mentality. You got to have this idea that this is not a game that we're playing. It's a battle we're fighting. And, and this idea of rolling up the sleeves of your mind or gripping up the loins of your mind is having a war mentality. Now, I want you to understand the people around you are not your enemy. It's, we, we can't get this war mentality against, we say, you know, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. It, that's true. But when we talk about the world, we're not talking about the people of the world. It's the philosophy of the world, right? So it's not a us against the world mentality. It's, it's a in the world, but not of the world mentality. See, it's, it's a big difference. Sometimes, hey, sometimes we... As independent Baptists or Bible-believing Christians gets this idea that it's us against the world. It's not. It's us against the devil. Yeah. It's us against the philosophy of the world. It's us against uh, uh, the flesh. But we're trying to win the world. And if we had this, I, I've heard stories of uh, men in the workforce who would go so hard and so strong, uh, not just with the gospel. The gospel is always going to be hard and strong with but with the mentality of they're fighting everybody. They're enemies of everybody. They're not your enemies. We're there to win them. And so this war mentality is in the world, but not of the world. Uh, but you have to have this idea, this mentality. Uh, have you ever had a war mentality? Have you ever thought about, I'm, gonna, I'm in a battle and I need to win this battle? Let me tell you a story back in the day when uh, Jessica was a baby. And Jackie knows probably this story very well. Jessica would not sleep in her own crib. And so she was old enough where she should be sleeping in her own crib. Her mom may have spoiled her a little bit on that. And so one day, Jack and I were talking. We decided this has got to stop. It's time. She's 12 years old. No, just <laughs> She's ready to get her driver's license. She's got no, no, just, So I can't remember how old she was, but she was old enough to understand. And so I said to Jackie, Jack and I decided we're going we're gonna to fight tonight. The battle's on. And Jackie, I'm going to win the battle. I'm not mad. 
I'm not upset. I'm not going to lose my temper, but I'm going to win. You understand me? She's like, yeah, yeah, okay. So we had this game plan. We had all planned out. She went in. We put Jessica in her crib. She cried. I knew she could talk because she said mama about a million times that night. She didn't say dada one time. Um, she said mama. Mama was in her bedroom. We had a little hallway between the rooms, and, and Jessica was in her crib. And I laid her down and said, daddy loves you, but you need to sleep in your own crib tonight. And so I laid her down, and she laid down for about 10 seconds, if that, and she was up yelling mama, 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 mama. So I, I went in my room for a little bit. I came back and I laid her back down. And I said, Jessica, you need to go to sleep. This is your crib. They loves you. You're going to stay here. I was very calm. Jackie, was I very calm? I was very calm. <laughs> I didn't lose my temper. I, I, I had a war mentality. I was ready to, I didn't care if that, that if, I, if it was four o'clock in the morning, I was going back in that crib, in that room, putting the kid back in the crib and she's going to stay in that crib. She was going to stay in the crib that night. I was determined. I had a war mentality. And so I'm not sure how many times I went back in there. After several times, I came back out of the room. I was met by my wife coming into the room. I said, Jackie, get back in that room. This is, I'm, not, I'm not lying. I was not upset. I did not lose my temper. But I told my wife, go back in that room. You're not going into that, that girl. She, this is, the battle's going to be won tonight. I'm, we're, we're tired. This is what has to happen. We are going to win the battle tonight. Get back in that room. She was crying. Jessica was crying. I was not crying. <laughs> I was determined. I had a warlike mentality. And I... Jackie went back in, in her bed and cried, and Jessica was in her bed crying. And, and I'm not sure how long it took. It took us hours, maybe. I don't know. Finally, Jessica fell asleep in her crib. I won the battle that night. Jackie cried herself to sleep in her bed that night, and everybody was happy in the morning. And Jackie was thankful. Then the morning we fought the battle, I said, Jackie, the battle's not over. Tonight we're going to battle again. I said, I won the battle last night. I'm going to win the battle tonight. And so back in that crib, she went, she cried, mama, mama, mama. Jackie stayed in her room. It was a short battle that night, and she stayed in her crib. The next night, there was no battle. She stayed in her crib the rest of the time. She, in fact, she still sleeps in her crib. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that whole story tells us, you get this mindset like, I am going, I need to win this battle. It's a war mentality. Maybe you need to have that war mentality about a sin that you've been struggling with in your life for all these years. It's like, I'm, I'm tired of struggling with this sin. It, it gets me, and then I win. And then it gets me, and then I win. And then it gets me, and then I win. Maybe you need to change, you need to gird up the loins of your mind if you're going to live as a stranger in this world and, and roll up the sleeves a little bit and say, this is a war mentality. I am not going to give in. I, I'm going to be calm under pressure. I'm going to have a sober mind. I'm going to prepare my mind for victory. A war mentality and a work mentality if you have a prepared mind. Secondly, not only a prepared mind, but a separated life. A separated life. The Bible here says, as we pick up the verses in verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance. To have a separate life, you got to realize you have different rules. <laughs> You're obedient children. As obedient children, obey the rules of the Father. You have different rules. Every family has different rules. I mean, the Stones and us were very close growing up, and, and a lot of the rules that we had for our family, we agreed on. There are some rules that we disagreed on. We had different, different standards for our home. We were okay with that. They were okay with that. We had certain things that we, they knew that, I, I knew the Stones did things this way, and we just, but my family had to do certain things certain ways, and their family, because you're a Stone, here's how you're doing it. Because you're a Holland, here's how you're doing it. 
That's just, every family has different rules, right? Well, if you're in God's family, there's a different set of rules. And if you have made that decision to trust Jesus Christ, you're going to live a separate life because you have a different set of rules. Than the, you're the stranger in a group of people that have different set of rules. Wouldn't it be frustrating as, a, as an athlete to play uh, a game where the two teams had different sets of rules? I'll use hockey. Maybe it'd be a good illustration for you. Like if, it, if one team was allowed to go offsides and the other team wasn't allowed to go offsides, if one team was allowed to cross-check and the other team wasn't allowed to cross-check, if one team was able to grab the stick and you know, grab on people and interfere, and all, and basically no rules for one team, but the other team had to abide by all the rules. Sometimes you think that's your team, that happens to your team, and you get how frustrated you get to that. I, I watched some of the guys play basketball one time here in, in, in the city here and the league from our guys from our church, and I felt that way as a, as a spectator. I'm maybe a little bit biased, but there was this different set of rules for our team, and I was very frustrated in, in the stands. And I'm just going to tell you that in life, as a Christian, there's a different set of rules for you than there is for those who aren't saved because you're a child of God, and the rules change. So the audience that Peter is writing to and the audience that I'm speaking to are living in a culture that has a different set of rules. And you need to be obedient to your father, not to their set of rules. You know, just, just picking one rule, I just picked it out of the air just, as I was thinking of it this morning. One rule that, that, that you should abide by that they don't have to abide by. The Bible says that you have, your speech should always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Guess what your coworker doesn't have to do if they're not saved? There's no, they don't wake up in the morning and think, I better have a graceful spirit today. Your coworker doesn't think that. Your coworker is thinking, how can I better myself and get up the ladder? And how can I take care of myself? And, and, and so they have a different set of rules. So if they're nasty to you at work, it doesn't mean you can be nasty back to them. You're under a different set of rules. And so as a Christian living in a world gone wrong, there's different rules also, once you see here, there's a different option. He says, they're not fashioning yourselves after your former lust. You don't have to follow your former lust. You don't have to do what you used to do. You have a different option now. This word about, in, in, this, in these verses about fashioning ourselves is an external word. Uh, it's the same word found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to the world. The Bible has a different word for internal change. That shows itself externally. This is the external word. It's just a, it's just an outward. Don't you have changed inside if you're saved, but even though you changed inside, you can still act wrong on the outside. You're actually not being true to yourself when you do that because inside you've been a different person. But externally, you can fashion yourself, conform yourself to the world. But you have a different option. You don't have to do that. He said, "Don't fashion yourself after your former lusts in your ignorance." Now listen, ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance is just lack of information. And so the Bible here is saying, Peter is saying, you're not ignorant anymore. You have a piece of information that the people that you're surrounded by don't have. It's called the truth. In fact, a lot of people in this world don't believe there is a truth. Their saying would be like, speak your truth. As long as your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, everybody's happy. Well, that's not true. (laughs) 
There is truth. And we have this truth that there's a God and there's a Jesus Christ and there's eternal life and there's a Bible and, and all these things. We have this piece of information that makes it different. So we live a separated life because we now have a different option. That, that information that Jesus is Lord of our life plays into every decision. The truth should cause you to act differently, decide differently, live differently. We have the option. We have an option to either live differently because we have this truth or to fashion ourselves after our former lust. We have a different option now to live separated. And we have lastly, a different standard. Pretty clear, be holy as I am holy. Jesus Christ is our standard. This world compares itself to each other. As long as I'm doing better than somebody else, I can feel good about myself. When I do worse than somebody else, I feel bad about myself. We should compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, knowing that we'll never measure up, but that we're always progressing. And that's it. Be, that's the new standard. Holy as he's holy. You know, holy living is one of the great truths of the New Testament. Almost every letter written by every uh, apostle to every group of people, if you, there'll be a section somewhere in that letter about be holy, live holy, live differently. The separated life is something that, that we sometimes lose as Christians because we're fashioning ourselves after the, the world. We're not sober-minded. We're not girding up the loins of our mind. We're not thinking differently. We're not living differently. We need to live soberly. It's time for us to sober up and see that there's a better way of life. We use that term, sober up. Like, oh, that, we, he needs to sober up. He needs to you know, stop drinking. But Christians today need to sober up. We're not intoxicated. We may be intoxicated by the things of this world or the pleasures of this life or something else has got our attention and we're not thinking straight. That's what intoxication does, right? It, it dulls your thinking. And it's time for us, according to this passage, if we're going to live right in a world gone wrong, to sober up and look at a new way. Prepare your mind and live a separated life. Are you prepared to live a separated life this week? We should have a different mindset. A different mindset when we go into the world if we want to live right in a world gone wrong. It's flipping that switch. Okay, I'm going into battle. These are not my enemies. The enemy is my flesh and the philosophy of this world, and the devil. These people are the people I'm trying to win, but I'm prepared. I know they have a different set of rules than I do, but it's okay. I take up the challenge of living a different life, a separated life in a world that's following a different philosophy. So before you leave the house in the morning, I want to encourage you to roll up the sleeves of your mind. Have a work mentality and a war mentality. Examine your life. Are you conforming to the world or are you following Christ? You want to live right and the world going wrong? Stay sober. Open your eyes and come to the realization of the truth that you have. Don't live in ignorance. Don't fashion yourself after the world, but live in obedience as obedient children to the commands and the example of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? No one looking around just for a minute. Very simply, our mindset has to change. Too many believers, too many so-called believers are living the exact same lifestyle as the world. You're, you've slipped in a, and because, because they can go off size, you've decided to go off size. Because they can say what they want, you decide to say what you want. 
And you have just slipped in and are fashioning yourself after the affairs, the lust, the former lust in your ignorance. But you have this piece of information you're not living by. So this week, let me challenge you. Gird up the loin of your mind. Roll up the sleeves of your mind and be ready to be different in this world that's gone wrong. Learn to be separated. Lean into the separated life that you've been called to. You've been called to be separated. You've been called to be different. Lean into that. It's, it's a good thing. Pastor Stone wrote a book years ago for the teenagers. You're not a loser. You're a weirdo. The idea is that if you live a Bible-believing life, it's going to be a little different. It doesn't make you a loser. It just makes you a stranger, someone who's different. Lean into that. Accept that. And be encouraged by the fact that you have a Heavenly Father that you can follow and be holy as he's holy. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, for these great uh, encouragements from Pastor Peter. Lord, I pray that you'd help us now to uh, go out into this world this week to have that mentality that we want to make a difference. We want to be different and that we can be different through the power uh, and the light that you put into us. Lord, I pray that we see that very clearly. Help us to be sober this week. In your precious name we pray. Amen.